Welcome to ADHD Flourishing about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real life stories and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here and you belong. I'm your ADHD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. Welcome to my guest, Matt Cameron. I am very excited when he reached out because he is a lawyer and is going to talk about uh, being in a professional environment, you know, a very particular type of professional environment. But I also think this is going to be relevant to a lot of people who've struggled with their career as an ADHD person. And also I've had several clients who are lawyers or young lawyers or in law school. And I know that that's, uh, there are a lot of challenging things that come along with that. So I know this is going to be directly relevant to some folks. And is there anything else you'd like to add about how you're thinking about yourself right now? No, I want to thank you for doing this. I have already been helped by this podcast. And if I can help anybody in my position, um, you know, I really didn't have anybody to talk to or any way to understand kind of who I was or what was going on for a very long time in my life. So I, I really appreciate the chance to talk about it. Awesome. And we were already joking right before we got on because you had sent me a bunch of notes of kind of, you know, some things you wanted to talk about in order. And I was like, wow, you sound so organized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> in my everyday, I've got people to make sure I stay organized because by myself, I can tell you, try it. It's, it's not going to work. Um, but yeah, I want to tell you, I guess we'll, we'll just start off a little bit here. Um, I want to explain where I'm coming from, what I do right now. And I think it might be helpful just to go through kind of how I got here and what I know about myself now. So I am a practicing immigration attorney. I've got my own office with two other law partners and I do mostly deportation defense and family visas. So it's pretty stressful work, but I really do love it. It's very meaningful for me. And I'm, I'm really proud to have the opportunity to do it at all. I always wanted to be aware from when I was a young age and I wasn't really thinking when I was a kid about the fact that I was going to have to adapt, that I was going to have to maybe think about myself a little differently or, you know, come to this thing a little differently than I would have. I, uh, I was a pretty weird kid growing up. I think like a lot of us and I was bullied and went through, you know, I was in a pullout gifted program. So that didn't help anything. And I mean, the gifted program was great. Eventually I got to be in a full-time gifted program in middle school. I only realized looking back that, of course, all my friends were on the spectrum of some degree, had ADHD to some degree. You know, we didn't have names for these things back then. Nobody I knew identified as any of these things, but I think we all were. Then, of course, I got the the ultimate ADHD prize at the end of high school and was really most likely to succeed. So I got to carry that around, as we've talked about in the podcast before, about the stress of the pressure of success. So I went into law school, did pretty well. Uh, I didn't have any trouble with the bar. And I found law school to be honestly not that difficult. Um, but the next part was very difficult. And that's kind of where I want to get started here. Realizing that I was out in the real world and was going to have to find a job in a, you know, in a field that has so many unwritten rules, that has so many different ways of doing things than what I was used to, and that does not tolerate diversity of any kind. It, it's a little better now than it was. But in 2005, when I got started, uh, I just, I guess you can't see me, but I'm, I'm a right cis male. So I'm not necessarily, I wasn't facing any other challenges, but I, just these, the significant challenges of just being a little weird and having trouble with eye contact. And I guess maybe if it would help, I'm I just very quickly, I'll just explain some of the ways that ADHD has manifested in my life and see if this resonates with people. 
Um, you know, I've always had trouble understanding faces and people's intent in their faces. I've always assumed that when people raise their voices, they're very angry with me. I still have that one. I still cannot get around that. Even when they're excited, I think they're angry. Uh, I tend to take people to literally sometimes. I have, I just can't do small talk or social conventions. I've, I've gotten better because I've had to, but it's still very difficult for me. I have serious sensory issues with light and sound, misophonia, um, generally just kind of sensitivity to light. Very particular about fabrics and shoes. And the, the only thing that I really don't like about my ADHD at this point is my insomnia because it's killer. Like it's really murderous. <laughs> it's really been difficult. But I also have, you know, typical sort of monotropism, time blindness. Um, and of course, the depression and anxiety that may come with, you know, feeling like you're not your potential. And of course, ironically enough, executive function because I'm the executive of my office and I'm supposed to have that function. And I don't exactly. So those are all the things that I kind of was going into my career facing. And I started bombing movies, just absolutely destroying myself with these movies. And I, I, it's embarrassing looking back now because I, I didn't know what I was in for. And what I was in for was, I'm, I'm in the Boston area, I'm, I live in Boston and practice here. And the, sort of the Boston legal culture, I had no way to be prepared for this. I didn't understand what it was. I didn't understand what I was getting into. And I <laughs> At the end of one interview, because another way this manifests is extreme honesty, I said to the interviewer, honestly, I'm just going to tell you, if you hire me, I'm going to run this room to the ground. <laughs> I actually said, but I eventually found someone who gave me a chance and um, worked there for a couple of years before I was able to start my practice. But all of that time, the entire time that I've just been talking about, right up until a few years ago, I did not understand that I had ADHD. I did not understand that I was in the spectrum. I just knew that I was kind of weird. My parents had always told me I was kind of weird. Um, I had been kind of avoiding the fact that I was probably in the spectrum, so I didn't want to think about it. But, you know, I did therapy and talking to my counselor, you know, sort of went through the diagnostics and, you know, it was pretty easy to confirm that I had these things. So that was, ADHD was probably about two or three years ago and like actually really coming to terms with the spectrum uh, it's within the last year. year, year. It's interesting. I, I just want to share, because I, I generally agree with your perspective on this podcast that advice doesn't really help us that much, you know, it's specific advice. And I don't want to come here and just list off a bunch of things I think people should do. I, I'd like to share, if it's okay, some of the things that have helped me. I want to say very clearly to anybody who's listening to this who has been struggling with the, with the thought of going to law school, the thought of being a lawyer, and who isn't sure if they're going to do this with the limitations they think they have. I want to say very clearly, you can. There is a way that you can do this. And it's becoming more and more acceptable to talk about this. I think, you know, back in 2005 when I got started, it was not at all acceptable to talk about neurodiversity. We did not want to do it by that way. There's a real fear of grabbing points away. And you're just being treated weird as by very colleagues. But, you know, it's there is a way that you can do this. You're going to have to adapt in ways that you might not do in other professions. But as, I, as I'm going to talk about at the end, there are so many different ways that you can use these things that we've just been talking about as superpowers and that you can really become an awesome lawyer. It's taken me a lot of trial, a whole lot of error, but uh, I've made it work. And I, I mean, at this point, the Massachusetts Bar, the, the register of the year, they've just started this year asking if you identify as neurotypical, which I had to pause for a moment when I got to that question because I didn't know if I really wanted to tell the bar that I don't have that but I decided I should. There's no reason not to embrace it. And, you know, there's, there's no reason to just put it in the survey. It's just, it's right there with race and gender and everything else. And so I, I thought, you know, I should, there's no, I, I, I'm not doing anybody any favors by becoming a So I'm going to tell you 
a little bit of, uh, about a model that has worked for me. You know, I, I learned about the concept of masking a while back, and that's a word that people use when they talk about bringing the spectrum. And I do not like that word. I do not like the idea. You're, you're hiding who you are. But I realized early on in my professional career that there is something that we all do as professionals that even completely holistic people do as professionals. And that's LARPing. We're all LARPing someone. And I started thinking about... Can I just clarify, just in case anybody doesn't know what LARPing is? Um, I, I know it is big in nerd culture, but it's also quite specific. <laughs> it uh, it's li live action role playing. And it's, you know, you've probably seen people out at a park with like foam swords and like all kind of ranged out over a park. They're all playing like a big, it's kind of like a big D&D &D game spread out in, in actual physical space. So anyway, just saying that for anybody who doesn't know. <laughs> Thank you. No, I'm more of a tabletop guy myself, but, uh, you know, but I appreciate sort of the, 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 the ideas of role playing. And when I was having all that trouble back in 2005, I went to, um, the, the, actually, I mean, I, I want to make sure I thank them, the, the Center for Anxiety Related Disorders in Boston were very helpful. But at the time, you know, whether it was my inability to express this or, or whatever they were doing with their diagnostics, I was diagnosed with social anxiety. And I thought, well, that makes sense. I do have, I feel like I have social anxiety. But I've come to realize that I don't really have social anxiety. I don't have that much trouble talking to people. What I have is a sensory issue. Because my social anxiety, I realized, was manifesting in crowded bars and, you know, the fancy dress scholars and places where I had to really perform in rooms, rooms full of people. But my point is, I started thinking about my character sheet when I was in a room. And I started thinking about the places on my character sheet that were great for law school, but not so good for you know, real world interviewing and working. And, you know, intelligence, I'd like to think I've got some wisdom. I've got, you know, some basic dexterity with, with I'm pretty adaptable with the raw and, and making a creative thinking. But, you know, charisma, maybe do a little work on it. Maybe put some points in there. Um, and then, of course, at, when you're building your character, you can specify different skill sets and different, you know, things you're good at or whatever. And I started thinking about what I wanted to put points into as an attorney. And I don't know if this is a helpful metaphor or not, but I, I, it's been helpful for me to think about it because this is, I think, goes for all professionals that you can't just show up as a lawyer, a therapist, or a doctor and be yourself. It's not an option. Whether or not you're not diverse. You have to show up as someone else. You have to show up for your clients. You have to show up for your patients. You know, if you're having a terrible day that day, you can't show up. You have to show up because it's some of the most important things they're going to be going through. If you're there to tell somebody they have stage four, you know, kidney disease or that they're going to be deported within the next few months, as I have to do all the time, you cannot be yourself in the beginning. And that's just something to consider. So that's what I've been doing since then is identifying the places where I had some weak spots and I'm learning to do that. And trying to be realistic about the things that I could actually work on, the things that are going to be for everyone. So just starting off, one of those things was eye contact. I, I know, and I've always known, I'm very bad at eye contact. Just, I really have a lot of trouble with it. I'm really the point of it. I don't know how long to look at somebody. But when I can see myself sort of role-playing, stepping into a role, it became much easier. I'm just, I'm a guy in a suit. I'm a dark, I'm a lawyer. People are coming to me for advice, and they want me to look them in the eye when I give them advice. Can I ask a question about your experience with that because i what i'm curious about because I, I talk to people or people ask me a lot about the idea of unmasking and i was actually just talking to somebody today about how uh if your if your brain believes that it is safe or correct for you to behave a certain way in order to say keep your job and keep your life you know moving if your brain believes that that's safe it's gonna be really hard to convince it to do something else and at the same time, a lot of people find that kind of performance aspect stressful. But what you're describing sounds like you found a way to do that 
that is not stressful for your system. And I'm just curious if it actually feels like, do you feel really tired after that kind of performance or does that kind of role-playing side of things actually help it not feel stressful? Great question. And and the answer is usually yes. I do feel pretty tired at the end of the day. It does take a lot out of me. I have to have a lot of difficult conversations, but, and again, I really do think this applies for all professionals who have to deal with personal issues for other people. You got to step back because again, of course, one of the other aspects of ADHD is the sensitivity and the feeling of absorbing other people's feelings and emotions, right? And I just happened to pick a field because I wanted to go into something that was helping one-on-one. I happened to pick a field where people are coming in with deeply emotional situations. And I do a lot of asylum. I have to hear about the worst thing that ever happened to people all the time. I was not prepared for that. I, I got no training in counseling or PTSD or how to do any of this. I just had to figure it out. And you know, that is something that I've been able to make into super sensitivity because I, I think that people can see when they're within the and I talk to them that I actually really care, that I actually do care about the case. And I have to, but again, socially, conventionally, and I just keep reminding myself. And, and it's, it's easier when I put on the uniform, right? I'm wearing a suit. And if I'm wearing, if I'm wearing a suit, I must be good, right? And that's, it works out that way. And it really, that is how it works. And that's actually one of my other pieces of advice is, you know, if you haven't, Take an acting class, like actually study acting and thinking about what it takes to be somebody on stage performing their own. Um, and this is specifically for players. I'm sure this, this advice probably applies for the professionals as well, but especially for players, because a lot of what you're doing is portraying confidence, is portraying, you know, something that is what they expect to see. I and mean, people have a certain idea about, about what it's going to be like as they watch TV. And I, I want to be very careful to say that I'm not telling you to be somebody else. Don't be a different person for yourself, but just learn how to slip into a role that works for you. But you can still be yourself and what people know. It's just, and again, in certain circumstances, when you have to, don't make yourself look at me in the eye all the time. I'm not telling you to torture yourself. But when you're playing that role, I can tell you it is a lot easier to just make that contact because it is that important. You know, and I, I did some acting in high school and in college, and I really enjoyed, you know, the chance to do that. It's, it's very easy to take an acting class if you want to just go do that and give it a try and learn a little bit about how it, what it's like to embody someone else. I think that's good advice for anybody, but. And, and, and this also depends on what kind of lawyer you want to be. You know, obviously, I do a lot of Portland work. So, you know, I, I took a lot of time to, to just realize that sort of the appropriate role of human conversation, because you, you can actually skip a lot of small talk. You can skip a lot of the things people expect conventionally, if you can at least be a little funny. And I've tried to work on being a little funny, just by studying, you know, how it works, what your comic archetype is, and, and show people that you care and that you are there for them. Public speaking, if that's something you need to put points into, that's a good idea. There are plenty of lawyers to just write, but you know, you're going to have to talk to clients. You're going to have to maybe talk to judges. So you know, think about public speaking. I had to learn a lot about cross-cultural communication because I work with people from all over the world. This is very specific to immigration law. But so, and another big one for lawyers is personal appearance. And again, it's unfortunate because it is a superficial job. Personal appearance was very stressful for me for a long time. And then I realized, this again is probably very much this small privilege, but I can just wear the same thing. Nobody cares. Nobody will notice. My staff knows that I did it. I have two suits. I have a couple of shirts. I've got a couple of ties. Learn how to keep your hair. Just buy the same hair stuff all the time. And what shoes you like. Buy those shoes all the time. It's fine. It's easy. Like once you learn, it took me a long time to figure it out. But you know, it's very doable to just, as a professional, find the thing that works for you and just do that thing. Another thing I put a lot of work into was my voice. Didn't used to be able to control my voice at all. But I learned a lot just by watching talented public speakers, by watching videos of people that were really good at talking. I was actually getting my career started in a real way around the time when Barack Obama was president. He's, of course, an outstanding public speaker. I learned a lot just watching him speak. You know, that a lot of ADHD people have sort of a monotone, but 
at the same time, a mono tone can be very soothing. It can be something that parents find to be very confident in the shy. It can be something if you're soft spoken, same thing. People will lean in to listen to you. That's okay. Just try to project, but you don't have to work out that hard. On the other hand, you speak a little too much or too loudly, rather. That works too. That can be interpreted as confidence. Work with it. Make it work for you. But I spent a lot of time recording myself, listening back, trying to figure out what worked about my videos. Those are the things just professionally that that I put points into and that I've really given a lot of thought to. I've been practicing for 18 years now. And, you know, if we had this conversation in 2008, 2009, I would have been a lot less confident. But at the same time, I didn't have a podcast to listen to. I didn't have any things to talk to about. There's any clouds of knowledge that were in respect at all. You know, you also have the benefit of all of these resources now and you know, get the help you need and, and figure it out. Because if you want to do this and you really want to commit to this kind of work, whatever this work is, you know, you owe it to yourself and your clients to, to pull some of this together. Now, a few other things. I'm, I'm just going to wrap up with you. Um, I journal almost every day, at least every other day, because I need to process my own thoughts, because often the things I'm doing are very traumatic, the things I'm exposed to, and the contact PTSD, sort of just working on some places. Learning how to induce focus. I found sort of a working soundtrack. I have noise canceling headphones. I've had to learn because I, I used to just kind of wait for that focus to come, but I can't do that. It's going to move things in my fingers. And that's, and again, it's something that you can do as a professional, but you have to internalize a little bit more and you have to be a little more subtle about it. And I mentioned this just because, you know, again, we uh, get to keep coming back to those, but we have to present the best we can. As sort of in the middle, just as professional. I don't, any other part of your life, it doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. But, you know, if you want to present the best face to your clients, there are ways to continue what you've been doing. I have sort of like a move, I'm, I'm guessing I'm going to show you with my fingers here, but I'm just kind of articulating each knuckle, just sort of sitting here. And this kind of looks very professional. If you're just talking to someone very slowly, you're just kind of manipulating your fingers this way. You know, I learned pretty early on that clients really wonder what's going on if you're presenting things that look like anxiety. And they're probably feeling anxious as well. So part of your, I think about that a lot, that, you know, that you're helping co-regulate them basically by, by being that calming presence. Right. And like I said, having a nice monotone can actually be very soothing. That's part of your obligation as a professional is to put your client in the best state of mind you can, especially if you're going to give them bad news. I mean, bad news is bad news. There's, there's only so much I can do about the reality that I'm going to tell you, but I started thinking pretty early on about how would I want someone to tell me this news. I should have mentioned before, I also have a fairly common ADHD issue of dyscalculia. It's pretty bad. I usually mix up numbers all the time, which is inconvenient because pretty much every one of my clients has an early number assigned to them by the U.S. government. It's a nine-digit number. And so I have to be very careful in triple-checking that number. I generally have fairly business staff to make sure that the numbers to, you know, like switching birthdays, phone numbers, stuff like that, I do that all the time. You have to be really careful. I have no limits on that. You know, have people around you that can help you that, that have that facility. This is stuff you can outsource. There, there are a lot of different things that you can outsource parts of your brain, you can outsource parts of your function, parts of your everyday out to people you trust. And, you know, that's the, the single, the only reason that I'm still doing this and the only reason I'm able to thrive for the that my office has been is because we found the right people. And I, I love my staff, you know, I'll do anything for them. And they'll, they'll really, I mean, they're, they're very, they, I think it's more or less mutual, but. I try to stay away from the family model. I think that's kind of abusive when you're talking about small businesses. But, um, you know, we, we are doing something in our office that is deeply personal. Most of my clients come from non-citizen backgrounds of one kind or another. And most of my staff, though, all my clients. 
Um, so it's it's often very personal work for them as well. And then, you know, so we all come together, we all have our things to do. But one of the things that I do when we bring on a person is I usually just sit them down and say, here are some things that you need to know about working with me. What do, I, what do I need to know about working with you? I'm just having a very honest conversation about our strengths and weaknesses, how we can complement each other. And, you know, here's how you can help me succeed, here's how I can help you succeed. And that's, I, I found that having that honest conversation with staff is a huge time saver. And generally speaking, if you're going to go out on your own, you're strongly discouraged, you can go on the Have people who have your back and understand your weaknesses can kind of flow on. And the only reason, like I said, in some business, it's not just my staff, but my own partner, Nicole, great with members. She, she runs out the business part of the firm. I don't have to touch it. I don't have to think about money, which is a huge problem for me. And then, um, just finding ways to balance the weaknesses. I really appreciate this uh, overall kind of sharing what's worked for you. You know, it's not advice. And also, you know, of course, you're talking from a very particular perspective, but I'm also hoping that some of this is useful for other professionals where basically you have to perform somewhat, like you pointed out, you know, doctors, therapists, like there are other professions where this comes up. And one thing that I see happening in the sort of social media side of, you know, neurodivergence, you know, people discovering who they are, self-identifying, et cetera, is this real push against masking, Mm -hmm. you know, and just generally, okay, you should build a life where you don't have to do that, where you can just be a hundred percent yourself, blah, 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 blah. And I think that that is lovely if that actually feels really important to you. But part of why I'm excited to have your perspective is this job is really meaningful to you. This is something you wanted to do for a long time. You put the time in, it's not just sunk cost fallacy, but obviously you had a lot of time and money, you know, put in it by then. And you figured out ways to make this work for you rather than just saying, well, fine, I'll just go find another career where I can be as weird as I want. Right. I was close. I was close. Yeah. Yeah. That's what kind of what I wanted to ask about. Cause I know you mentioned that, you know, having the support and the staff and, you know, setting up the business around you in the way that worked is kind of why you're still doing it. But I was also wondering if, you know, for example, if you were not doing something that you cared about personally, if you were just, I don't know, making money for oil companies or something, um, would that be motivating enough for you to have figured that all out? Well, that just sent a chill down this point. <laughs> Thinking about making money for oil companies. Because I, I think that is another Audi HD kind of trait is that you want to do something that really cares, that, that matters, that, that yeah. is personally important to you. And it's a privilege, as you know, to be able to do that. And I, I encourage everybody to find ways that they can do that. Yeah, no, I mean, I can imagine a life where, because I've thought about this too, about all the other jobs I could have had. I wanted to be a writer too. And I, I get to be a writer pretty much every day. That's a big part of my journey. I, I absolutely could have been a writer and maintained 100% every part of my, myself without ever having to ask anything, probably. You know, but, but at the same time, I've learned a lot through all of this. And I'm, I'm very proud of kind of the progress that I've made without losing myself. There's a balance. There's a way to do it. And you know it yourself. I mean, I'm, I'm sure with, with the clients you're working with that you cannot show up exactly 100% as yourself. Like, that's just not an option. Yeah. And I, and I, it was very easy for me to sort of accidentally do that and then spread it out to get very involved in people's lives and feel very connected with them because that's what we want to do. That's our natural desire. And then as people and as neurodiverse people is to connect with people that way, but it is actively detrimental to your ability to show up for them and to ethically represent them. Yeah. And I think that that's a, a really useful message for, I mean, obviously, you know, any, certainly anyone who's considering becoming a lawyer, but really anybody who's in or thinking about going into a profession that might have this sort of requirement of you, that if you don't want 
to do this sort of performance element, or if you're not comfortable sort of setting some of your own shit aside basically mm-hmm. during the day so that you can be there for other people, that is a big part of a lot of these jobs. And you're right. It is, it is part of what I do because part of, part of how I can be good at what I do is to help co-regulate people from the moment they're getting on the call. Like I actually had one call recently where I was, uh, I was running a couple minutes late and then, and I was like, Oh wow, my heart rate's up Hmm. as I was getting on the call. I was like, this is unusual. I'm usually in like a nice calm state. And so I, you know, in the first couple minutes, I was like, okay, I have to like bring myself down because I don't want to be in this, you know, kind of elevated state. Not that co-regulation is only down-regulating. Sometimes you are helping bring people's energy up too, but that's anyway, that's, I think that that's a really, really useful kind of meta point for folks is, you know, yes, uh, the world is, you know, in the social model of disability, the world is disabling us and making things difficult. And even if that weren't true, there would still be elements in some of these workplaces or professional settings where you kind of are setting part of yourself aside just as part of the work. And I don't think that that's just as simple as, you know, oh, neurodivergent, you know, it's, it's everybody, everybody's doing that to some extent. So yeah, I think that that's a really useful thing to talk about. And I, I really appreciate your perspective of, and I, I kind of feel similarly, like I figured a lot of stuff out and reached an okay mental health point and then went, oh fuck, it's autism. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Obviously, like yeah. all this work. And then it turns out there was a label that would have been very fucking useful 10 years ago. 38 years ago, my case. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm 43 now, but you know, if I if I'd known from a kid, I don't know. I mean, I'm very proud of who I am and what I've been able to do, and I, I wouldn't change anything. But it was stressful. It was hard. Yeah, I guess I, I just kind of from what you just said, one really important part of it when you're thinking about, it, I'm just going to talk about law again. It's what I know. One of the superpowers that we have as ADHD people is the ability to specialize, to really specialize, to go deep on something, and you will be rewarded if you find a specialty that works for you and you're good at it, and the public knows that you're good at it. If you can find, because there, there are a couple of things that I do that not that many people around here do. But if you want to specialize in something like jury trials, which is not something you would immediately think is compatible with being you know, an ADHD, you can do it. I know you can. And you just got to take those acting classes. You have to think about it. But you know, that, at, at that point, if you're doing a jury trial, you have an ethical obligation to show up, to show you are your client's voice, you're the advocate. And if you show up presenting something that the jury is distracted by or is somehow not able to connect with, right? And part of your job is having to connect. With and we're very good at connecting with people on our terms. But you're going to have to connect a little bit more on your terms to do that kind of work. But maybe you don't want to do the career things. Maybe you want to be an appellate attorney, which is very popular with people with, with, uh, on the spectrum with ADHD. Appeals have hard deadlines. That's another part of my job I've really had to work on. You, know, you, you can't get an extension for when the court tells you to file something. You have to file it. And there's serious consequences if you don't. But you know, if you go into it knowing there's limitations and how to deal with them, you know, for, for, for deadlines, I just put everything three days earlier in the calendar and make that the deadline. And it's the only way I can do it. Because even knowing that that's not the real deadline, I treat it like the real deadline. I do have quite a few 11.59 you know, timestamps in my records. <laughs> Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just part of the deal. I do have a question on the going deep thing because, you Mm -hmm. know, another pretty common ADHD thing is getting really good at something, going really deep, you know, maybe even reaching a high professional level with something much faster than normal or usual, I should say, and then losing that interest or your interest kind of moves on. I I'm curious if you've experienced that just in general, but then also kind of how that interfaces with this idea of, you know, really 
like learning all these skills. Cause something I could imagine if I, I did think this, cause I actually, at one point was like, Oh, I could be a good lawyer. Um, and I was just like, I, I feel like the, for me, the risk of getting in there and then just fucking off and quitting is too high. <laughs> so anyway, I'd be curious sure. to hear you talk about that from your perspective. Yeah. Oh, I think you would be a good lawyer for what it's worth, but um, I, but that's not necessarily a compliment to everybody. But, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I have struggled with that a little bit because, you know, I love my job and I love the work and it's very rewarding in many ways, but there's also like every job, there are parts of it I just hate. I just don't like it all. And I don't want to offload all that on somebody else. I mean, I have a paralegal, obviously, who can handle a lot of the kind of organization and some of the road work that keeps it less interesting. That if I make a mistake, I'm going to lose application to be held up for another year or so, maybe more. Just kind of reminding myself of the consequences and why I'm doing it. Like you said, if I was working for an oil company or if I was doing, I don't know, any, any number of other corporate jobs. I mean, honestly, we're talking to somebody about a lawyer they knew whose entire job, and just imagine this, was staying up all night because they were dealing with people in the Middle East with, with extremely wealthy oil billionaires in the Middle East. And they were helping them write yacht contracts. And I can't think of anything less but them with oil billions, right? Of all people. I mean, that's just that. And he was making very good money doing it, but he was miserable because he's staying up all night doing something that means nothing. It's the opposite of it. It's actually harming the world, right? And as a lawyer, you have all kinds of opportunities to harm people. It's, it's a big part of the job if you want it. It's, you know, you can choose to use the, the law as a sword or as a shield. And, you know, and so I think that the really important answer to your question, I guess, is to find something that really aligns with your values and with who you are and make sure that you have the opportunity if you can. And that doesn't have to be as dramatic as stopping deportations. And it's, it's very meaningful to help people buy a house. It's very meaningful to help people elegantly get through a divorce. It's a very important role to serve. And so if you can remind yourself in those kinds of ways, honestly, yes, there, there are parts of my job that I, I, I would be very happy to walk away from and never see again. But at the end of the day, it's, it means something. So that's, I guess that's the answer is I, I can put myself in that crisis mode that ADHDers need uh, to get anything done, that everything's on fire, because I can continually remind myself that everything will be on fire if I don't get this done right now. Um, and that I think they'll get it really are going to suffer if I don't get my job right. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's much more motivating than uh, a composition deadline. I got to say, <laughs> getting a piece of music done, which, you know, I, I care about the deadline, but nobody's going to have their life ruined if I don't in general, it's not a very high stakes thing, but it's, it's also fun and meaningful to you. And you know, you know, so as long as Whatever motivates you to get it done, you know, you're, you're going to do a great job doing it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just whatever it, it takes to meet those deadlines. It's a really important thing. You, you, don't, you don't get to do, do these jobs much longer if you keep long deadlines. And I have to really be in that with myself. It's one of my weaknesses, for sure. Yeah. I know we were kind of moving chronologically. The only question I kind of want to go back to is when you mentioned that you did get close to, or at least were thinking about quitting. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious what your process was at that time, because that is something that I feel like is broadly applicable. I mean, again, it's just you, but like applicable to a lot of people who have had a similar experience, which is, hey, this is not working. You know, my, I'm really struggling with this. And then, you know, making that decision. I'm just really curious what you did in that span of time. Yeah, because um, we all get there sometime. It has to happen, especially if you're doing something that you know is going to be stressful. 
Uh, I, I worked in a firm, a small firm, and again, I'm grateful for the opportunity, but it wasn't a very good experience. Um, and I, by the end of that experience, I was very quick. But the thing is, the law is a very conservative profession, and started making an exit plan from them. And my exit plan was accelerated by when I almost died. I had an accident that almost killed me. And um, I'm totally recovered now, but it was a long road. And that gave me a lot of perspective. And I have appreciated ways that almost dying does. I don't specifically recommend almost dying. If you can, I mean, if you can arrange it, you know, I don't think that it was the surprise factor. I think when anything really worked, you know, I had a lot of time to think in the hospital. And I realized that what I really wanted to do was go on my own. That was really the only way I was going to make this work because I have my own way of doing things. I don't really like working for other people, which is obviously very common for us. And I don't like people telling me what to do, frankly. Um, so it's much easier to, to start a practice where you get to do everything by your own values, do it your own way. I started my own practice and it was rough. I was 27, 28. I was way too young to be starting my practice. I had no idea what I was doing. I did well for my clients because I was working really hard and I was very grateful just to have clients, but I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't, like I said, my taxes were a disaster. Um, I had no help. I didn't know how to hire anybody. I was just a mess. And I kept thinking, even once I got my own office, even once I got a couple of staff, even when things were getting going, I was still solo and I was miserable because of the body. And that's why my biggest piece of advice for somebody trying to start a small business is do not do it by yourself. You can possibly help it in this kind of field others. Um, where you're under constant pressure and just, you know, things you to get those learners. Um, but, you know, the only reason that I'm my friend continued and that it is what it is now is because I know my partner and I did, my one partner, and, you know, she had a set of skills that I do not have. And she was able to balance me out and to, to pick this up and figure out how to make it a profitable business. It took a long time to actually become profitable for reasons I'll talk about in a minute. Um, but, you know, just, Finding somebody could compliment me that way. That's, not, like, that's the only way I ever should have done. And that's just a warning everybody does is be careful about them. Even if you have that strong feeling, it's really not your own boss. Talking about looks, obviously, the kind of thing you're doing, I think that it seems like it's much more compatible with, with being solo. But um, when you have all of the things pushing on you that are so difficult for people with their limitations. You know, and, and again, at the time, I think, okay, I'll put it this way. If I had known better who I was and you know, how to deal with all these things, if I was at the place I'm at now, back then, I probably wouldn't have felt that way. Um, but it was crushing. It was really the, the other mistake I made was taking too many detained cases, which get me, they get my soul. I mean, it just it hit me so hard when people are not as pessimistic after the play. I mean, some of the most brutal work you can do with lawyer. And I was doing like more than half my case, which was ridiculous. I never should have done that. I mean, that was just, I, I had no idea what I was doing myself. So now I get myself a couple of times. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that so much of that resonated with me, even though I have totally different life experiences. Just that experience of things not working and how frustrating that is when you don't know why, mm-hmm. like when there's not a reason. And I think, in particular, I think part of the ADHD experience is you're, you're trying to explain to people what is happening. And most people, even people who love you and are close to you are often reflecting back kind of a, what are you talking about? Right? Like, you know, you, you know, my partner quite well, mm-hmm. and, um, they're on the spectrum, but not ADHD. And there are things I say about my experience where they're just like, what? Like, cause they're, they're not ADHD at all. Like that's just not, you know, they have great executive function in a lot of ways. And, uh, it's just really funny to, well, not funny, but like frustrating if, if you don't know what's going on and you don't have people to kind of reflect it back to you, 
Mm-hmm. to just be at Absolutely. that moment where you're just like, well, nothing's working and nobody can help me and nobody can explain why this is terrible. So I guess I'll leave. And I yeah. feel like that's how a lot of ADHD folks exit entire careers. Yeah. That's, that's very well said. And and I think, you know, if you're, if you're someone who has trouble with executive functions, I think we all do. Um, then be careful about putting yourself in your position as an executive. Like this would be my advice as well. And I am, I mean, I'm the, I'm the managing partner of the prime. I'm very proud to be running it. But I could never do that by myself because I have my, my, my so as I said, Nicole, my other law partner um, does the money. And then Corey, my other law partner does the people. He handles all the HR stuff, which I do not like to do. And, you know, that, that balance, I mean, I just kind of handle everything else. And that balance between the three of us is perfect. You know, it's just an absolute word. But yeah, no, you just really be aware of where you're at with executive function. You don't try to push yourself on that too much if you think that's going to be a problem, especially if you're in a place where you're going to need to meet deadlines or you're going to have to be responsible to clients who have serious demands. Yeah. I do have one other question, um, just kind of some, from some specific experiences and thinking about that people have told me about where basically legally being both autistic and ADHD are protected under the mm-hmm. ADA and mm-hmm. that bringing it up to HR often ends up being a bad idea in the long run. In a lot of, uh, I mean, I'm thinking of lawyers in particular, but I've heard other, you know, other professions talk about it as well, where even though it's technically illegal to, you know, uh, be mean to someone after they've, you know, received a diagnosis or, or even if they're just talking about it, even if they're not, you know, relaying a, a need for a particular accommodation. Um, I, I have, I have heard anecdotally that it's incredibly common and I'm just curious about your, view on that as a lawyer, because obviously you've created a space where you are protected and presumably your, you know, employees or coworkers are as well in this particular space. But I'm curious, like, you know, certainly in 2005, but even in like 2015, do you think it would have been safe for you to kind of come out at work in this way? Not well, yeah. I mean, my, my boss, when I was at the small firm before, knew I was weird. I don't think people understand it, but then he would he was kind of a bully about it. Um but uh, yeah I think that if I actually had set out well that I had these conditions if that would have been a problem then it would have come back on me. Obviously anyone in our office I'd be very happy to talk to you about accommodations and how we can work together. And then that's literally that's the purpose of the conversation I was talking about. They're sitting in general and saying, what do I need to know about working with you? Obviously mm-hmm. I cannot ask you to disclose a medical or you know a mental health condition. Um but what do I need to know? And that generally is a pretty critical conversation. But yeah, no, I do think it is very unfortunate because the law, especially, as I said, it's a very conservative profession even now. And, you know, I feel a little bad that I, I've been saying a lot of these things that I've been conditioned to to think of them the way we need to practice because that's the way it is, right? And I don't want to be perpetuating things that are unhealthy, but at the same time, I do think it is possible to strike that balance and to be open on who you are. And I'm, I'm very happy to be able to talk about this stuff now. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm still thinking, you know, if there's a client to Google me and see what I'm openly talking about being on the spectrum, is that something that could be used against me just by basic business spectrum? But I, I do think that in, that, that that's kind of, I guess, another thing that I'd say, even if you don't have the luxury of starting your own practice, try to join an environment where you can be the most yourself you can, because I will tell you straight up front that big law firms are not the place for you. That's not going to be good. Unless you can find a place where you're just going to sit in the corner and write something. Um, you know, they're very conservative in the way they approach their you know, sort of every day. It's very stressful. From everybody I've ever talked to has ever worked at a big firm. It's not someone you want to stay for a while anyway. But, you know, I, I can imagine 
that from what I've heard about partners in this process, that it would be thrown back at you pretty quickly. And that we probably might be forced out or maybe they just stop giving me work until you leave or whatever. But I'm sorry to say that. I'm really wishing it went that way. I, I hope it's not that way with other professions that we've been talking about. But and, and I'm also talking, I guess, a little bit about Boston Marriott culture, which can be particularly great from what I've heard. You know, I hope that's changing. I really do. I, I don't know. But I I think that the best avenue for people with ADHD is probably going to be a small firm where you trust people and where you know people and where you can you know, be yourself, be your friends with everybody. And absolutely, you have your rights, but you know, actually using them. These are your rights, know your rights, as long as you don't actually try to use them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, that's a great sign. But um, yeah, I, but I'm not discouraging people from exercising the full extent of their you know, their rights under the ADA. I'm just saying that you have to be prepared that it could, at least right now in 2023. But I really hope that podcasts like this one, that resources like the ones that you plugged into here, um, that the kind of publicity that this is getting right now, the public stuff, you know, that, that more and more of us can come out and talk about this. There are more and more lawyers who are talking about the neurodiverse and about, um, you know, how they practice and how it works for them. And the more of us there are, the stronger they're going to be. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And the more folks like you who are starting businesses that are in theory, you know, good for other neurodivergent people as well. And mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate that those spaces are increasing. I know you mentioned potentially having folks like young lawyers or, you know, people thinking about becoming lawyers reaching out to you for mm -hmm. conversation. Um, how would you like to do that? Well, you can find me on Twitter or I'm, I'm always going to follow Twitter. It will always be Twitter. I'm at uh, Matt, M-A-T-T -T underscore Cam. Um, so I'm pretty easy to reach there. You know, on Twitter, I really actually don't even mind if you just want to send me an email. I, I really don't, as long as you respect, you know, the time. Um, it's Matt Cameron, M-A-T-T-C-A-M-E-R-O-N at Gmail. That's my other Gmail adopted. So I'm happy to, really, I, I'm like, I'll, I'll get on Zoom with you. I'll talk things through. I'm happy to stay in touch. You know, if you want to go to law school, if you're in law school right now, and you're starting to wonder what you're doing with your life, you know, I'm happy to mentor best I can because nobody ever did that for me. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I will, I'll probably put your Twitter handle in the show notes, but probably not your email just so that no, yeah. nothing trawls that and grabs it. But anybody yeah. listening is, is welcome to use it. Um, yeah. I, I just want to close if I can um, with, with some very positive thoughts because I've been learning. This is another, another ADHD thing is I always forget to end on a positive thing. Right? It's just really people expect that it's a nice thing to do. It's so easy just to kind of, especially because I teach as well. I teach at Northeastern uh, and I used to end my classes because when you're talking about immigration policy, a lot of it is very bad and it's very depressing. And I used to kind of end my classes on terrible notes about whether we're all, you know, being or whatever. But I always try to make sure I end with something nice. So I do want to encourage people to think about the ways that the limitations, the things that people think about as limitations about ADHD can actually be your superpowers and that you can embrace them as a lawyer. And I'm just going to talk about lawyers because that's what I need. Um, we don't tend to like or understand authority or hierarchy when we're into that most of the time. So like I said, that's great for a small family environment if you're parking before if you're running it. But it's also really great for public defenders. I know a lot of public defenders are definitely respect one way or another um, because that kind of instinct to not trust authority, to fight back, to stand up and, and uh, to punch up, that is actually incredibly helpful. Um, it can also potentially make a good management style if you're a little bit of a mean fist. I think that's probably goes against everything. I mean, MBA would, MBA would tell you. Um, but I found that if you find people that you can trust and you show them that you trust them and you give them the room that they need to do the work, they do it for them for themselves. So I, I, a lot of what I'm saying, I think, applies to managers as well. Generally speaking, the, the idea of people with ADHD being kind of honest to a fault or oversharing, 
Um, that honesty is very good as a leader. People want to see that. People generally assume that you're not going to be honest because you're already, you've earned that reputation, unfortunately. The point about lawyers who aren't necessarily. But being able to show people in little ways that you, that they can trust you to be honest with them. And as also as it happens, as I said, I've had some tax issues, not because I was doing anything wrong, but because I was doing what I was doing. I actually, we're in a fairly cash-based business as an immigration law office. I report every dollar because that's all I know how to do. Like, I just feel like that's a really, the, the IRS tends to assume that if you're in a cash business, that you're not doing that. So we'll never have any issues with the IRS. Monotropism, as I said, I got into this, but find that focus, find that specialty, make sure it's something you love or that, you know, that it means something to you, that those you the good values, channel it, and you can do really well that way. And of course, you can also have more than one specialty, which I do, and you can balance between them and you can stay interested in everything. Um, the sort of natural sensitivity that we have, I think, is very much a superpower for lawyers if you're careful about it, you can channel it properly, and if you can make sure that you can show your clients that you're human and that you're listening. Um, it's not our job to cry with them, although sometimes if they do make me cry, it does happen. Um, but it's not our job to hold their hand to be their therapist, but they will appreciate it if they see that you're human. You know, I, I've talked to so many lawyers who just clearly do not care, whether they burned out or they just never cared that, you know, just today I was trying to explain to my client's defense attorney that the strategy he's pursuing is going to get him deported. He's like, ah, well, whatever. I'll just get it assigned to somebody else. Like, okay. All right. Um, like he didn't, he didn't even hear me when, when I said he was going to be deported over this and lose his residency. Um, altruism, empathy. These are things that lawyers are not famous for either. And there are things that I think that we do very well. And as long as we sort of are aware of them and know how to channel them and how to build them into our lives. Um, like I said, I'm very proud that my practice is people-centered, but that also means that for many, many years, I wasn't thinking about money at all. I was giving myself. And it's especially when you're doing asylum work, it's very hard to ask people for money. But it turns out that I am expected to pay all my bills at the same time. That's just a basic part of life. So I've had to surround myself with people who care about money more than I do, but I'm very happy. You know, I really do, because I don't care about money, I do think that's a real important part of kind of altruism and empathy. It can be very destructive. It can be very bad. It was very bad for me. It took me in a bad place for a long time. It took me a lot of debt. So that's sort of my positive closing. Any thoughts? Yay. Oh, I love that. And that last one, I'm like, oh yeah, I should, I should also probably surround myself with people who care more about money than I do. Cause <laughs> I also, unfortunately, yeah, it turns out, yeah. yeah. No, I, I mean, <laughs> my first therapist, he'd been listening to for like six months and he's like, man, I figured it out. You're a socialist trying to operate a business in a capitalist economy. It's like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's, oh my God. I think I told you that first day, but thanks. Um, yeah, that was not my therapist much longer. But yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I think we should all be proud of who we And I really appreciate you putting a, get, getting a voice to all of this and, you know, helping people think about it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for, I mean, you, you came prepared. <laughs> I, I love that though. No, cause there's a part of, part of what I'm trying to do in, in what I'm putting out there is to, even though I don't want to give advice in the sense of, you know, do this thing. What I do want to put out there is some really practical, specific things mm -hmm. that have worked for some people like us, because it's so hard to find good advice or sort of even, even just like, even if it's just a starting place or a jumping off point, it's hard to find that stuff that mm -hmm. actually seems like maybe it would work. So yeah, I really appreciate the specificity that you were willing to go into with your story. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure this will be helpful to some folks. Anything else 
you want to make sure people hear? No, I think that covers it. And uh, happy to follow up in the time if nobody wants to talk to me. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'll put your Twitter link in the show notes. Uh, and you said your email if people want to reach out to you. <laughs> you got it. Okay. Thanks for Tim. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here and taking a moment for yourself. I hope the episode sparks some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you're looking for gentle ongoing support, I invite you to join the Like Your Brain community. It's a non-hierarchical and no pressure space to share our lived experiences together and learn from each other. Ask authentic questions, share your own wisdom, and be a part of building a safer space for folks with identities that are often marginalized. And if you're not yet ready to be seen in a group space, we've all been there, you can join the podcast support tier, which has a private podcast feed with some of the learnings from Like Your Brain and additional podcast content. So you can absorb on your own terms and timeline. We're here whenever you're ready. The link is in the show notes or at patreon.com slash Mattia. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash M-A-T-T-I-A. Have a great week.